millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm your host, Jim Daduchu, and what we do here on Condensed Histories is we take a piece of pop culture and we reveal how either deliberately, sometimes subconsciously, real history affects that piece of pop culture. Now, what I have done on multiple occasions in the past is I've brought in my favourite pastime and hobby into this particular podcast. So again, we're going to be talking about Warhammer. And what's going to happen this time round is I am going to compare certain parts of both the science fiction-y futuristic one called Warhammer 40,000 and the yoldy worldy one with dragons called Warhammer Age of Sigmar. Both of them have part of the conversation here about funerary rites and societies dealing with death rituals. Yeah. If this is your first time on the podcast, hi, welcome. There are a bunch of other Warhammer podcasts on here, but I do lots more than that. Let's see. I've done ABBA. I've done Lord of the Rings. I've done Scooby-Doo. I've done Wild Wild West. It's pretty diverse here, okay? So please click subscribe, share the love. You can also come and talk to me. Recently, I've done one called Homeworld. That was a video game one, and that was actually given to me as a request by a guy called Gavin online. So I'm at Jim Daduchu on Twitter. I'm sure there'll be a link below on this. So you can come and say hi. You can tell me if you enjoyed them. You can tell me if you want additional information, or you might want to throw out, like Gavin did, a bit of a topic there saying, come on, bet you can't get any history out of this. And it's like, just watch me. So anyway, yes, uh, please interact. I'm not just a passive podcast. I do talk to people as well. And I love to see the reviews as well. So if you could put up a review, it all helps to spread the word. Thank you. If you haven't listened to any of the other Warhammer ones, I would recommend if you scroll the way back because I actually talk about how the company behind it all called Games Workshop was founded. And that's a really interesting one because to give you an idea now in the year 2021, it's gone from being three guys pulling together little games and trying to come up with a small little company to now a company that is estimated to be worth more than 3.2 billion pounds and worth more than Marks and Spencers. So that's an awful lot of little plastic toy soldiers that they're selling. And so what we're going to be talking about now is, in essence, one of the most famous bits of Warhammer 40,000 and one of the more new bits of Age of Sigmar. 
And what's all this got to do with funerals? Well, yes, of course, lots of people die on the battlefield in the games, but you don't roll to make sure they have a decent burial or something like that. Sometimes they get back up again, which is always problematic. So what I wanted to talk about, particularly with Warhammer 40,000, is the imagery of it. In the grim darkness of the future, there is only war, was a statement used in the very first edition called Warhammer 40,000 Rogue Trader, because that was the full name of the book that it, all the rules came in. And that came out in 1987. And that really sort of set the tone of grim dark, because different types of science fiction have a different feel to them. Something like 2001 A Space Odyssey is very clean. Everything's almost sterile in the future, according to Stanley Kubrick. Star Wars, a little bit more lived in. However, something like the Death Star. That's no moon. It's a space station. Is still very spick and span. And, it, and importantly, in both of these cases, they're properly futuristic-y. Then we come to something like Alien and Blade Runner, both directed by Ridley Scott. Quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? Those futures look more lived in. They're a bit more grimy, a bit more dirty, more realistic. You know, bits of rubbish lying around on the streets, as would happen. And so you kind of want to stand out with your futuristic-y stuff. I think the problem with some wannabe Star Wars movies is they didn't have any art direction. So they just look like a cheap knockoff of Star Wars. Whereas if you did genuinely come up with a different look or vibe, look at Tron, for example. There's nothing special about you. You're just an ordinary program. So are you. One that should have been erased. May not have been a commercial hit, but both Tron and Tron Legacy you don't need to know much to know that's a very different kind of science fiction setting. And it's certainly eye-catching. I'm going to say Tron Legacy. Again, it wasn't a huge hit or anything like that, but it's one of the most beautiful digital movies ever made. It's gorgeous to look at and also distinctively it. And it's not trying to be a, a rip-off of Star Wars. So with the genius of Warhammer 40,000 is there's this decidedly mishmash of eras going on. You get something like the Imperial Guard, Adeptus Militarum, says Jem, sort of slightly mangling the name there just off the top of his head, even though got a whole army of them. And everyone calls, still calls them the Imperial Guard. This is the standard frontline troopers, and, and their equipment and their tanks look quite World War II. They look kind of quite Cold War era. They are not super science fiction, considering we're in the 41st millennia. So that's their aesthetic. But if you like, the critical thing about the Imperium of Man is it does have this medieval vibe. You have Inquisitors, for example. There are an awful lot of candles being used, considering they also have plasma coils. It's sort of like, well, why don't they just hook them all up to light switches? Four candles. <laughs> Four candles. It's a great move. There are literally some, they're the Sisters of Battle. Some of their tanks are literally covered in candles. It looks amazing. It's a great aesthetic. And also one of their weapons is basically an armoured personnel carrier where the back bit with the personnel has been ripped out and there's a giant organ only it fires rockets as well as music so you can sort of 
pray to the god emperor as well as firing off the rockets. It, it looks wonderful. But the thing you see all over the place are skulls. Imagery of skulls and skulls with wings on, or sometimes servo skulls, which are like little robots which have like a cybernetic eye and they kind of float around with a vestigial arm sticking out of it, robot arm, and you know, it's sort of picking up things, but you know, why not have, make it a friendly thing? Why not make it look like a teddy bear? No, because it's skull. And look, this is one of these things on some of these podcasts and YouTube videos, people do these deep dives, yes, on things like Warhammer, but also on things like Star Wars or Matrix or whatever. And they go, oh, the reason why this is there is because, and then they go into the lore of it all. That's L-O-R-E. But the reality is skulls are kind of cool. If you think in back in the 1980s, your typical goth kid would probably also be into Warhammer. So if it was covered in teddy bears, they ain't gonna buy it. But if it's got skulls on it, it's like, well, that already fits my general demeanor and I, I, I think I might go for it. But the thing is, and I love this lore explanation, that the reason why there are these skulls all over the Imperium of Man is to do with the Emperor. Now, if you don't know the, the whole story about all of this, 10,000 years ago, there was a chaos finally erupted into the universe and corrupted huge swathes of the space marines, the sort of super soldiers in their super armor that were utterly loyal to the emperor. And each one of these colossal legions was led by a Primarch, one of the sons of the God Emperor. And each one had a sort of distinctive style to them and abilities, which were quite similar to their legions of space marines. And anyway, sort of like half of the legions under the auspices of Horus, the favored son of the God Emperor, they rise up, they're corrupted by chaos, and they fight a huge civil war across the galaxy, which almost destroys the Imperium. And the big, huge climactic fight, there's a siege of terror, that's T-E-R-R-A, as in Earth. There is a siege of the God Emperor's palace on Earth. And actually, this happens up in space. I won't bore you with the details. But the Emperor has a huge fight against Horus. And at that point, Horus mortally wounds the Emperor. And the Emperor is then put on the Golden Throne. And this sort of huge machine with all kinds of sort of eldritch technology has been keeping the Emperor barely alive for the last 10,000 years. And his body is slowly sort of rotted on the Golden Throne. And the Emperor is the most powerful psyker in the whole of the galaxy. And he's, so he no longer talks, he no longer wanders around or anything like that. He just sits there. And there are these sort of whispers into other psychics and things like that, where the Emperor can kind of push and prod the Imperium into various different directions. But the reason why they have these skulls isn't to do with Goths in the 1980s and isn't because it looks kind of cool on the front of a armor-plated badass super warrior, but it's because it's a devotional thing to the Emperor. And I like that. I think that's a really clever way of pulling all of that together. Then let's go to Age of Sigmar. Age of Sigmar, because it's much more recent, they, they used to have basically Warhammer Fantasy Battle, which was in essence exactly the same. Perhaps the biggest difference was square bases. You had to shove everybody together in these pack, tightly packed units like you might see in something like the Napoleonic Wars. And now they're on circular bases and they can be a bit looser so that, you know, there's more flexibility on the battlefield. That's a technical difference. But what happened was Warhammer Fantasy Battle World was destroyed 
destroyed in the end of days and now the age of Sigmar has happened and, and this is the, the, the different mortal realms and it's allowed them to sort of completely refresh the product range as well there's completely new armies one of which I'm about to come on to but what it's also allowed them to do is they can keep writing the narrative. The problem is with Warhammer 40,000, the Emperor's been sitting there for 10,000 years, and in the real world, he's been sitting there for 35 years, and he has done nothing. And, you know, they keep sort of like hinting, it's like, well, maybe he will die and be resurrected, or rise again, or whatever. And it's like, get on with it already. But... The great thing about Age of Sigmar is they can actually continue the narrative. New places can open up. Battles that we, you know, the Horus Heresy had already been written about, even with the first edition of Warm 40,000, whereas these stories have yet to be written, and therefore the narrative can ping off in lots of different directions. We've had the Necroquake and other such sort of cool-sounding things, the Realm Gate Wars with Age of Sigmar. So they can keep pushing on in any direction they want to go. And in the Fantasy one, the Age of Sigmar one, there are dwarf armies, but nowadays they're called Caradrim, Caradron, I should say. I've got, again, I've got an army of those. And they're steampunk dwarves, which fly around on kind of sort of sky ships. They're really cool. They absolutely have orcs oh the other form of dwarves is uh, fire slayers these are like they're berserkers that uh, live in sort of like lava worlds and have lava monsters to sort of back them up uh, they're a lot of fun too so you've got orcs and you've got dwarves and elves now are sort of split into lots of different groups there's kind of the dark elves which are almost like sea creatures and they ride into battle on the back of giant turtles and flying sharks that's pretty cool you're gonna need a bigger boat but there's no sort of flat out dark elves but that's the closest thing to them they also got the daughters of cain which are these sort of like mad women elves who just fight in a frenzy of bloodlust if you want to orcs elves dwarves etc they're there but they've all been changed into their own version and there is of course undead armies things like zombies and ghosts wraiths and so on and so forth but a new one that was created a few years ago were the Ossiarch Bone Reapers and they're really interesting and a sort of unique creation of Games Workshop in that yeah they're skeletons sort of they're basically built constructs so unlike these other things like the skeletons and zombies and ghosts who you can reanimate and they can keep popping back up on the table these things can't reanimate because they're made they're built once they break they break but they are much better fighters than your average skeleton. Them bones, them bones and their cavalry, oh my goodness, my eldest son has a load of their cavalry, and they charge in, and not getting too technical with him, but they ultimately cause all these mortal wounds, they smash into you, and, and they can wipe out an entire squad of yours before you've even had a chance to use them. They're fast, they're lethal, and they're not particularly expensive either. The Ossiart Bone Reaper army as a whole is a very strong army. But what they do, the law, again L-O-R-E, around them, is that they go from place to place and they demand a bone tithe. And you can actually get a bone tithe nexus, this sort of building, which is this sort of giant pyramid of this four-armed, four-headed skeleton sort of gazing down at you sinisterly. And there's all these steps leading up to this. And then the steps are just 
covered in bones because they need these bones to make their soldiers, their warriors. So the bones are more important to them than the money. And obviously because they're undead, they don't eat or anything like that. So they, they basically turn up at a village and go, give us your bones or we will kill everybody. And so the first thing you do is of course, you dig up the graveyard, give them all the bones. And they go, all right, fine. And then they come back. And, you know, maybe it's only a few months later and it's sort of like not enough people have died. So it's like, what do we do? Do we start chopping off arms? Do we get rid of the sick people? It's a really horrible idea. But basically their entire culture is devoted to this funerary rites. The fact that it's all about the bones. It's about the, the worship of these long dead things, which we will then pull together and we will now use to create our armies of, as I said, those incredibly annoying cavalry. There's also this wonderful thing, which I myself bought and painted, which my son can use if he wants to. It's sort of like a bipedal cow, but the back of it is just this huge bone cage, just full of other bones. And basically this thing is just sort of walking around the battlefield. You can use it to heal your forces, but it's basically walking around the battlefield, picking up the bones and putting it in the back of it. And on the side of it, there's a really cute little detail where one arm has picked up a helmet rather than a skull and the arm next to it is putting its hand out sort of saying stop like no that's not that's not the right thing it's that little attention to detail on these Warhammer figures that I love. And uh, there's been a lot of articles recently on like sort of Guardian, BBC, talking about how people during lockdown, and this is absolutely true for me, haven't played many games, and actually I'm pretty bad at the game, but I, I mean, the last time, about a month ago, we went to Warhammer World. This is in Nottingham. This is where the main factory to make it is. It's a British manufactured, yay. And they also have gaming areas and things like that. And my youngest son had never been. He'd always wanted to go there and play a game. And so he played a game against me. He killed me in two rounds. He wiped out my army in two rounds because his army was more competitive. What can I say? I was proud and annoyed all at the same time. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. But yes, so the point is that you've got these monsters who are there worried about where are the graveyards, where are the grave sites. We need to not so much show them respect, because of course they're ripping out the bones, but they are, you know, they're reusing the dead. And there is, in both these examples, both Warhammer 40,000 and this, there are genuine examples of this sort of thing happening in history. So when I was at university, I did a degree, if you don't know, in archaeology and medieval history. But one of the papers that I read, which technically wasn't part of my time, was about Victorian funerary rites and the rise and fall of skulls on graves. And I would encourage you that this is a weird thing. In the West, we have a really uncomfortable relationship with death. I don't know when the last time you went to a graveyard. But as I say that, you're probably thinking, that's a bit depressing, that's a bit ghoulish of you, Jem. No, there are loads of civilizations in the past that have absolutely encouraged and dealt with death in a fundamentally different way to the way we have. But one of the interesting things is, is certainly in the Victorian era, these skulls with wings are quite often on gravestones. It's not very Christian, but it, it's sort of like a reminder of death but it's also with the wings, it's sort of showing that you're going to go up to heaven. That's the basic idea. And they were popular for a time in the Victorian era, but then they faded away. You get more overt images of like, forget about the skull, let's just have little angels carved onto it. Angels are far less scary. The angels are coming for you, but listen, your life could depend on this. Don't blink. And the angels as well will be taking you up to heaven. So that's an example where in, in very recent history in Britain, funerary tastes have changed fundamentally. But the thing I want to go back to, those Ossiarch bone reapers, is you get this idea of this bone collection and you get that. There are a number of Neolithic sites throughout Western Europe. So Neolithic, we are talking about four, 5,000 BC. That's early. It could be as recent in Western Europe as something like two and a half thousand BC. So it's stretched for thousands of years. And one of the things that did happen in the Neolithic era is there are a number of barrows. Now, it sounds vaguely familiar. There are the Barrow Whites in Lord of the Rings. Interestingly, they're not in the movies. They're in the books. And they're a really good part of the books, but they had to cut out something. In case you're wondering, Aragorn turns up in the first movie and gives the hobbits weapons, and then they're attacked on Weathertop Mountain. Where are you taking us? Into the wild. So they're at the Prancing Pony. And that's where they meet up with Aragorn, and they're in Bree. And Bree's very close to the Barrow Downs. And the Barrow Downs are all these hillocks of dead warriors, which have ghosts inside them. But they also have booty and loot in there. So basically, Aragorn and the Hobbits you know, fight a couple of Barrow Whites and grab their weapons, and that's how they get the weapons. But that's not in the movie, and it was never filmed. They had to cut content somewhere. And the word Barrow is, you know, Barrow in Furness is literally the name of a place in Britain. So maybe there's a name near you called Barrow, and chances are it's the site of some ancient burials. Now, it may be more like Iron Age, so it might be 2,000 years old. It might be genuinely Neolithic. But the thing about the Neolithic ones is they weren't individual burials. What we see again and again is piles of bones. So clearly, people as a society were buried together. This was important to them, and again, fundamentally different to what we're doing now. 
And it's important because it shows you a different type of culture. In other places, you get things like all the leg bones are in one room, all the rib cages are in another one, and who knows what's going on there? But, you know, they're sorting them out, presumably long after the, the flesh has rotted away. You also get in places like Tibet, something like a sky burial. It has various technical names, but I'll just use sky burial. Because if you think about it for a moment, congratulations, you, you live in the foothills of the Himalayas. Where are you going to bury people? It's solid rock everywhere. You can't go six feet down through the soil. There isn't six feet of soil around. So what do you do? So people literally put bodies onto platforms and these bodies, the flesh is picked off the bones by carrion birds, you know, things like vultures and, and things like that. The fact of the matter is, no matter how much you love the individual who has sadly just passed away, you cannot have their body lying in your house because it is now dead matter which will decompose and highly likely to spread disease to you. So you have to dispose of the body in some way. Bring out your dead! Bring out your dead! And I always remember my old lecturer said the worst thing that ever happened to funerary rituals was the invention of Christianity. Now that might sound harsh, but his reasoning from the point of view of an archaeologist is this. Before Christianity, where your body would be taken to the afterworld, whatever the afterworld that might be, you get things like the Sutton Who burial, where you get literally somebody laid down with armor and ships and coins and things like this, like really useful for an archaeologist. Or you get a pyramid built for you. Obviously, these are only the fabulously wealthy and powerful people. But the point is, each one of those sorts of burials tells you a lot of stuff about that culture, civilization, requirements, etc. The thing is with Christianity is your body remains, but your soul ascends to heaven, at which point there's no point putting in cool stuff in your actual coffin. So because of that, funeral deposition got very boring once we're into the Christian era in England, for example but it applies anywhere. A non-Christian burial usually leads us to, to more interesting findings. Of course, it can change. The traditional way of a Hindu burial is to be burnt on a pyre. Cremation is the way to go in that situation, in which case there is no evidence whatsoever of this individual ha having ever existed, unless they're sort of kept in a pot, but most Hindus put the ashes into a holy river like the Ganges, something like that. It's really interesting how different cultures have done it. But you also get in the New World, there's various sites, and this is they're still echoed on this, like the Day of the Dead in Mexico, where literally there have been signs, I say the New World, other places around the world have done this as well, where dead people's remains have been found inside family dwellings. So I said, you know, you can't obviously have a corpse in your house, it's going to lead to disease, Best guess, of course, if this is archaeological evidence, nobody sat down and wrote through the rituals, but best guess was maybe they had something like a sky burial or they allowed basically all the soft tissue and organs to, to rot away or to be taken away by carrion birds or whatever. And then the remaining bones, which would be safe in terms of catching an infection, would be kept. And there are multiple cultures where a certain time of the year, like the Day of the Dead, for example, you would bring out the skull of your grandmother and everyone would sit there and reminisce about this person. There's various bits of Western poetry saying nobody is truly gone until the last person who remembers them dies. 
And I love that. You know, it does show you that your life does extend beyond you without the need of any sort of mystical spirits in the sky or something like that. So, for example, my youngest child, who is about to become a teenager, he remembers very, very vaguely being a very small child, being given biscuits by his great grandmother. Now, his great grandmother, she helped patch up various airplanes in World War Two. That's how far back her history goes. So we have a living connection between a child who hopefully will live for another 90 years and somebody from World War Two, which, uh, you know, that's amazing. That, that connection is still there. I'm just putting it out there in terms of that. We all love the people who have passed. But particularly in Western society, you know, it could be Germany, France, America, Britain, wherever. We don't set aside a specific day to remember our own past people. They might pop into our head at certain points and make us very happy or very sad. We don't have a day to remember them. You might turn around and go, well, what about Remembrance Sunday? Well, that's specifically about wars and maybe that's got nothing to do with your family. And it's interesting how we deal with this. But the sort of the skull iconography I mentioned earlier from the Victorian era, you can see is absolutely something that we've got in Warhammer 40,000. And those sort of sky burials and the collection of bones, that's exactly what the Ossiot Bone Reapers are doing as well. The other thing is from Warhammer 40,000 is you get the Necrons, the sort of metal type robot people, aliens, they originally came out after the Terminator movies, and they're clearly influenced by the Terminator movies. I'm a Terminator. Sabadan Systems Model 101. But they, they needed to make them different enough, and they have. But nowadays, particularly with their sort of like recent slight enhancement, shall we say, or redesign of the, of the whole series of figures, which started in 2020 with Indomitus and the new version of Warhammer 40,000, they've definitely got more of an Egyptian vibe to them as well. So they literally have this kind of war pyramid type thing. Now, it's actually just like a pyramid pyramid. Pyramids don't have three sides. They've actually got four sides. And this also has four sides. It doesn't have a pointy top, but it does look very much like a pyramid, only it's black rather than yellow. And it does remind us that when we see the pyramids, which are the last ones of the world that still exist to this day and are still impressive. I've been to the pyramids. They are big, even by modern standards. They're so impressive. But what we're seeing is a bit of a ghost of their previous selves because for starters, an awful lot of the capping stones have gone away. If you see the sort of like the angular blocks going all the way up, that's because they would have had a smooth side with these more sculpted stones. You can see it on some parts of the pyramids, but not everywhere. And each one had an electrum cap at the top, this metallic cap right on the top, which would have looked fabulous in, in the bright light of the Egyptian sun. Again, you've got sort of like riffing off things there. Going back to the Age of Sigma, in the earlier one, the Warhammer Fantasy Battle one, there were a bunch of sort of undead mummies and, and kind of skeletons very much with an Egyptian flavour. I can't think they're called the, the Crypt Kings. This, this was an example of an army that was invented after the first time I was in, I was into it in my teen years and then I went to university and I forgot all about it for 25 years. So I, I think they're called the Crypt Kings. Somebody can turn around and say, Jim, you're so wrong, but fine. They were invented after I was out of it and they had been made redundant. They were an example of an army that weren't brought through to the next version, Age of Sigma, which is when I got into it again. So a kind of an unknown to me. I've seen some of the figures. They look gorgeous. It's a real shame. I, I get why people have a whole army of these and going, well, I can't use them. But of course, this is the thing. 
I just want to very briefly go back to the world of, of Warhammer. I feel a little sorry for Wizards of the Coast. Who are they? They're the people who now own Dungeons and Dragons. Because the thing is, while they try and sell figures around it, the beauty of Dungeons and Dragons is all you need is the basic rule books and a pen and paper and you're done. Oh, and some dice, some dice, yes. But, you know, once you bought the rule books, until there is a new edition coming out, I don't need to buy anything else. Whereas, with Games Workshop, not only do you need to buy the new rule books every time there's a new version coming out, but you need the figures to play. The thing is, if you don't like the new version, find some people, like-minded people around you. You're not obliged to play the most recent versions. You are if you're going to play a tournament. But I don't know how many people actually play tournaments of Warhammer. That is a very small percentage of the people out there. Don't say they don't exist, don't say they're not popular. But it wouldn't surprise me if only 5% of everybody who collects Warhammer have actually been in an official tournament or one of the big tournaments in your areas. Because that's a very distinctive, that you can't hobby wrong. I hate it when people say, oh, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. You do whatever makes you happy. And if you are super competitive on this stuff, you do you. The thing is, they make money out of launching new armies, which need a new rule book, and also new figures, which means you want to buy more figures. And so if they only just kept with the old figures and old armies, they just have less opportunity. I don't know why they necessarily defunct them completely, because there are other armies which they've just revamped, and they could always do that with them. But for some reason they decided to bin them, but they are quite similar to the Ossiart Bone Reapers. The Ossiart Bone Reapers have clearly picked up where this old version Crypt Kings, I think, have gone away. There we go, that's a sort of slight aside there. But it does show you that, in a weird way, Warhammer, going back to its grim, dark origins, is remembering that people... There's death. There's death in Warhammer all the time, and they need to acknowledge it. And the great thing, the distinct thing about Warhammer 40,000, the thing I've always loved about it, is the fact that it looks completely different to a Star Wars, Star Trek, Tron, whatever it may be. And I really like the aesthetic, because it's such a big universe. If you want something that looks really kind of futuristic and science fiction-y, you'll do the Eldar. Space Elves, as they were called in the first edition, so that tells you what they are. Perhaps the weirdest ones that really don't have much of an equivalent are the Tau, except to say they use battle suits. So if you like anime, I've done an episode on Gundam, so if you like Gundam and things like that, they got mechs. That's a very distinctive, different look to, like I just mentioned, the Imperial Guard, where they're kind of World War II aesthetic and very sort of brutalist tanks and, you know, very practical looking. The Orcs, it all just looks like a pile of scrap. That's just fun. It's not my aesthetic personally, but I absolutely get why there are so many Orc players who just, just love having fun just kit bashing this stuff together. But I always love things like the Space Marines and the Imperium with this kind of dark Gothic, let's have a candle on top of a high-tech gun. Because, yeah, why not? There are scrolls everywhere. Of course there are. And a skull on the front of an armor-plated super soldier. Yeah. That just tickles my inner... 10-year-old boy, basically. And if that doesn't do it for you, like I say, there are lots of other options out there for you. Anyway, hope you like this one. We've sort of travelled all around the world over thousands of years, and it does show you that there is absolute elements of ancient history wrapped up in this modern and very successful game about plastic soldiers. Thanks very much for listening, and as always, hopefully, see you soon.
Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.